Hi, Sally. <laughs> Hi, Tyla. Hi, listeners. Welcome to our podcast. A year ago today. Do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are here today with a special update from our former guest, Jill Filipovic. Is that how you say your last name, Jill? It is close enough, Tyla. How do you how do you really say it? Uh, Filipovich. But Filipovich. you were like one, you know, one little itch off. So oh, one <laughs> Good itch away is the story of my life. One itch away. <laughs> Filipovich. Oh, um yeah, so Jill was with us how long ago was that? I think it was six months ago. Gosh, really? Was it really six months no ago? Way. I was, I was, was counting fast. earlier. No, I think you're right. I think it was in like October, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, so much has happened in six months, which is why we have Jill here to talk with us today. Um, we really didn't talk about how this was going to go, did we, Sally? No, I mean, I thought we would just talk. Yeah, I didn't know if you want to have Jill share a one word or if we're just going to no, jump into the conversation. No, we, we're just going to jump in. We, I, I was modeling on, on our uh, manifesting update because we've already recorded an update. All right, me. Well, so we just, I don't recall we just what we did. Dive, so. We just dove right into it. Sally, lead the way. Great. Jill, I love you. <laughs> Sally, I love you. And I'm so happy to be back on your podcast. You're officially our first guest who isn't me or Tyla who's back, <laughs> which I'm really excited about. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for having me back. Oh, my goodness. You could come back every week. <laughs> yeah, whenever you want. <laughs> and... But we're going to make you talk about your feelings every time. <laughs> oh, God. That's, you know that's a good thing to Tyla. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Oh my goodness. I so, so much title. has happened in the last six months. So much. Tell yeah. Everything. <laughs> um, it's been crazy. I published a book, which I think is why you're having me back on. <laughs> which One reason. Is exciting and terrifying. Um, if your listeners don't know, it is called The H Spot, The Feminist Pursuit of Happiness. Um, and it is basically about how feminists can make uh, happiness and pleasure a political goal for women's rights. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, I just got full body chills. <laughs> so good. Uh, I went to Jill's, um, she's on book tour right now, and I went to Jill's event here in New York City, and she read from the introduction, and I was already like, this is the most brilliant thing I've ever heard. <laughs> mm -hmm. A politic of pleasure. Yeah, I mean, this sort of idea, and I hope folks will read the whole book, but <laughs> the idea basically is that you know, in the founding of the United States, uh, the founders wrote out a Declaration of Independence promising uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But that was obviously only a promise for a pretty small subset of the population who were, you know, landowning and therefore wealthy white men. Um, <laughs> right? And it just wasn't really available for all the rest of us. So women, people of color, um, anybody outside of that very, very kind of narrow group. So since then, all of our institutions, laws, policies um, have really been built uh, in the furtherance of this promise for this same fairly small group of people. Mm -hmm. And the question I was interested in interrogating in the book is what would a sort of feminist politic of happiness look like? And what would it look like if our laws, institutions, and policies were instead built around what would allow women to pursue our own happiness? Mm -hmm. Which I well, love. I'm obsessed with That is such a this. big topic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, ugh, okay. Okay, Keep well, talking. I want to say right away before we get too much deeper into this that we have felt really inspired to do 
a book club with Jill's book because Sally and I are both reading it and it's brilliant and we really think everybody should read it. So if you're interested in reading it with us, then you should pay extra special attention right now. <laughs> <laughs> or even and if you're if not you're... interested, still pay attention. <laughs> yeah. I was like, even if you're not sure, I'm sure that this is going to be fun. <laughs> it's going to be a fun conversation and something fun to explore. Um, yeah. And then maybe afterwards, at some point you may be interested. Fingers crossed. On it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're under um, underestimating our readers' interest. I'm just imagining everyone right now sitting on the edge of their seat or like already on Amazon <laughs> going to buy the book or better yet, from a local bookstore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. This is what happens when you don't when we don't have a structure. <laughs> I mean, I think this is fine. Just breathe. I agree. We're I just having fun. <laughs> I know. Just speaking to it. what's present. Um, yeah, so we're really excited about the book club and we're going to have Jill on again, um, which I'm also excited about because in case you couldn't tell, we love Jill. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm so the book club sounds awesome. And one of the, th I mean, if people do participate, um, one of the things I was trying to do with the book was to kind of lay out, um, both the sort of landscape of what is right now, but then also kind of plant some seeds of ideas for what could be. And I found kind of the hardest part of the book to write was the conclusion where I try and get into a bunch of different policy solutions um, mm -hmm. just because I felt like I wasn't being as creative as I would like to have been. So I would love, I mean, if people read the book with also an eye to like, how could we change this? And what are some of the kind of policy prescriptions that are not even on the table right now that nobody is really talking about? Um, but that seem like they could be kind of interesting ways to shift uh, the the current uh, sort of way that women live. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love everything about that. And that actually I, reminds me, the first thing that I thought of while you were talking was something that Tyla and I spoke about before we even got on um, about the spiritual anchor. Do you want to talk about that, Tyla? Yeah, I mean... Before, before I do, I want to say that Jill, I really appreciate, I really appreciate that you're saying up front, you know, even as the author of this book, who's like done so much research on all of this and spent so much time traveling the country and interviewing women that you're very much like, Hey, I don't have all the answers. And the mm -hmm. point of this is to like open this up for wider discussion and we need everyone's yeah. voices. Like that's, um, I feel like probably a lot of authors feel that way but it's nice to hear it so explicitly stated that it's like an invitation into this deeper conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I hope that's what it is. And, you know, something I sort of address toward the end of the book is that, you know, yes, I, I tried to talk to a lot of different women and especially women whose lives don't look like mine, but I mean, there are still so many voices that are missing from the book, right? Like women are more than half of the world's population or more than half of the U S population. Um, it's, I mean, I don't want to say impossible, but extremely difficult to kind of represent the breadth of female experiences, um, you know, in 110,000 words. So, mm -hmm. you know, I would really love it, um, you know, if as people are reading it, they're also asking, like, whose voices are missing here? Who mm -hmm. aren't we hearing from? Are we hearing from women like me? Do I feel like I'm sort of represented here? What, how do I relate to this? How do I not? Um, you know, and, and the book, I'm trying to make it sort of less individualistic and a bit more solutions oriented. Um, 
you know, and then asking like, okay, how, how do these kind of policy prescriptions that are on the table, do they actually fit the needs of most women? And, you know, what would make my life easier? What would make the lives mm -hmm. of the women that I know easier? And yeah, I would love to kind of have this be a starting point rather than like, read this book and then you have all of the answers. Yeah, which is why <laughs> so it's if that's what you're looking for, you're not going to get it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. I think that speaks to, you know, I have shared with Sally that what I'm excited for, I haven't finished the book yet, but as I've been reading it, what I've been really excited about is how to ground all of this information that you've shared in a more spiritual context. Like, what are the small shifts that we can make in the systems in our own lives, like the political systems of our family, the political, like all these smaller political systems where, where we can have a big difference, where we can begin shifting to prioritize our own pleasure rather than waiting for these big policy solutions at the top. And as I've been reading the book, that's really like what's been coming up for me is like, okay, how does all this translate to an individual life, regardless of where you are at, like anchoring in, this idea that pleasure and happiness is, and I think should be one of the highest priorities because when, when women are happy and taken care of, it, you know, it's, it's proven that everyone does better in that situation. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, healthy, happy women pay dividends for their entire families <laughs> and all of society. Um, and yeah, I mean, one of the more challenging parts of writing this book was figuring out, you know, how do you balance addressing these kind of huge structural issues, which really do dictate um, the paths before us and the choices that we make, but also address the fact that, you know, culture and social norms are things that we build, right? They're not just like totally gifted to us. Like we mm -hmm. also have a role um, in carrying them forward and perpetuating them in our own lives. Um, and yeah, you know, how do we talk about things like the feminist pursuit of happiness and not kind of individually blame women uh, who conform to certain social norms or, you know, make certain choices or compromises in their, in their lives um, and address the big systematic challenges, but also challenge people, Tyla, like you were saying, on a more individual level to think of the kind of, you know, micro political universes in which they live, um, their families, their relationships, you know, how they uh, sort of pleasure seek and what that means. Mm -hmm. Man, this speaks so directly to something that I'm experiencing right now in my life. You know, my, um, my, my boyfriend, Matt, and I have been together for four years and we're currently evaluating, you know, whether it makes sense for us to stay together. And part of it is like, I don't feel totally happy inside the political system of his family, you know, and it's like, that's not something that I can change by myself. Um, it's something that I definitely require his support to shift. And it's not simple or easy. And I love, I love that I'm experiencing that kind of on a microcosm level right now, because it's like these, these paradigms that, that are shifting slowly. <laughs> They're huge, even on the individual level. Mm -hmm. No, they are. And they dictate, I mean, one thing I've sort of noticed in my own relationships, you know, I'm living with a romantic partner for the first time uh, <laughs> in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and looking at the kind of just micro economy of our house and who makes what decisions, who does what kind of labor. Um, you know, and I'm with a person who's very feminist minded and fair minded and a sort of amazing partner. But you know, I do notice myself doing a lot of the kind of 
I don't know, a lot of um, the sort of both physical and emotional labor of like sharing the house and then managing the relationship um, that I don't have to do. It's not like he won't do it, but I feel this kind of intrinsic uh, or intrinsic is the wrong word, but sort of deep need to like be the one that takes care of all of this. Um, and it's been really challenging to, you know, kind of think about, okay, how do I let go of some of my own expectations um, for what I look like in this relationship and, you know, for what I'm supposed to be doing and how I'm supposed to be managing, you know, his feelings and my feelings and what the house looks like and, you know, all of this stuff. And it's really one of the first times that I've realized you know, how even for somebody who does spend all of her days like <laughs> thinking and writing about this stuff, um, how deep it all goes and how hard it is, uh, you know, to both kind of challenge your relationship to be different um, and how that sometimes doesn't, doesn't always feel good either, right? That yeah. sometimes doing the hard work of shifting this stuff ends up making feeling sort of in the moment less happy, even if it, you know, does kind of pay off down the line. Mm -hmm. Well, I totally agree. I love so much of what you said, especially that you just used the phrase emotional labor. And as you said that, I was like, oh, that's what I'm feeling mm -hmm. <laughs> in my relationship is like what I'm trying to achieve right now is a more equal distribution of the emotional labor. And that's a big, big shift. Um, the other thing I think is really important is to talk about, you know, when we say happiness, it's like, what is the definition? What is the definition of that word for me? I've come to understand happy to mean the ability to feel your feelings as they need to be felt, which I don't know that that is a definition that everyone would agree with. I'm interested to know what your definition of happiness would be if you had to define it. Yeah. So in the book, I kind of look at two different definitions of it. Um, and because I was looking at sort of both philosophy and research, this is the kind of the two um, traditions that I focused on, one of which uh, is called the hedonistic model of happiness, which is basically like pleasure and enjoyment. So things that positively, positively stimulate the five senses, things that feel good. Um, you know, if you ask somebody, how good do you feel today? They're probably going to be coming, replying to you from a kind of like a mostly uh, sort of hedonistic um, answer. So that's what our happiness researchers look at something called subjective well-being, which is, you know, how good people say they feel. Um, and the other sort of model of happiness that I'm looking at in the book is called eudaimonic happiness. And this is kind of the more like um, f uh, sort of Aristotle philosophy view of, of what a good life is. So this is a kind of happiness that comes from the pursuit of knowledge and new experiences uh, from the ability to kind of craft one's own identity, um, to experience, you know, some hardship and overcome it, um, you know, happiness that comes through, yeah, resilience and knowledge and um, a very kind of full and sometimes challenging life. And that doesn't necessarily mean feeling good every day. Oh, and so when I'm I think about happiness, <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, something that, that's when the, you know, when the founders were writing the Declaration of Independence and they wrote happiness, that's the tradition they were talking about, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so in the book, and then I think also in my own personal life, I think of happiness as a combination of these two things. So both this ability to pursue a life that uh, feels meaningful and that feels full and that is adventurous and sometimes challenging, 
but also the ability to have um, and enjoy kind of simpler day to day pleasures. So having good sex, eating good food, enjoying long conversations with dear friends, you know, look, reading a good book, looking at beautiful art. Um, I think that kind of those sort of hedonistic pleasures also feed into what makes for in total a big and meaningful and good life. Yeah, totally. Uh, I want all of this. I want all of the kinds of happiness that you're talking about. I do wonder um, if, if you speak to this in the book, I haven't gotten to it yet. You know, when, when I hear the word hedonism, I often think of pleasure seeking that is not really about pleasure, but that's more about numbing. Mm-hmm. Or like excess. And, yeah. And I wonder, could you, could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, I think hedonism obviously has some pretty negative connotations, right? It means it, at least to me, you know, it sounds like you're being kind of overly indulgent. And like you said, numbing, like, you know, sort of uh, seeking kind of immediate sensory pleasures as a way to sort of dull out something else. Yeah. It's like Mm -hmm. escapism. Right. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Um, You know, I think a lot of that though is rooted in this kind of like Protestant Christian tradition that we have in the U.S., that is frankly really pleasure hostile. And you know, that yeah. essentially says like, give up any kind of earthly pleasure so that you may then have a good afterlife. Um, mm. And that's fine, like if that's somebody's tradition and belief, um, but that's not my religious, <laughs> that's not mm-hmm. my belief. Um, and I actually think there's quite a bit to be said um, for you know enjoying the kind of, what we think of as like base pleasures, but that I think are pleasures that are actually really fundamental to human existence. So things like sex and food and, you know, looking at beautiful things. Um, I think uh, one of the challenges in writing about happiness and, you know, these sort of more hedonistic pleasures is that we also live in a, you know, very capitalist and commercialized society where happiness and feeling good has been kind of packaged and sold to us, right? And a lot of these very basic pleasures have been commodified in a way that I don't think is good. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. You know, so even when we talk about things like sexual pleasure and desire, um, you know, we, we see images of sex everywhere and it's usually women that are kind of the stand-ins for what sex is supposed to be. Um, And we see these kind of sexualized, objectified um, visions of women's kind of sexy bodies Um, standing in for what sex is. What we don't see a lot of is female sexual pleasure talked about in a kind of more accurate and holistic way. Um, And when we talk about women actually being sexual instead of sexy, that is met with a whole lot of hostility. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and I think the same with when we're talking about things like food and the pleasure of eating. Um, You know, we see food obviously like commodified and packaged and sold to us. Um, in ways that kind of meet our modern needs for things to happen quickly and efficiently. Um, But we don't have a landscape that really, you know, allows people to take pleasure in preparing and eating and enjoying food. I think a really good example of this is like school lunches. Kids, I think, get an average of 20 minutes for lunch. So we incentivize this like, sit down, wolf down your food, go back to what's more important, right? Rather than breeding in our kids this idea that mealtime is a time that can be, you know, nurturing both 
in terms of you know giving your body the nutrients it needs to be healthy but also can be really socially nurturing sitting down with your friends at a table and having a conversation um really basic stuff like that is just not a part of how we think about these kind of hedonistic pleasures um and because so much of it is fueled through this capitalist engine i think we wind up with this society that is both hostile right um from again this kind of like religious basis hostile to hedonistic pleasures um but then also sort of sells them back to us as indulgent vices and we sort of get the worst of both worlds yeah mm -hmm. yeah I'm really thinking about a shift out of escapism, which I feel like is kind of what we're sold. It's like that instant gratification, which always kind of leaves you feeling pretty empty, into more presence and sensuality. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a big shift. <laughs> that's the mm -hmm. shift that I've been, well, I think a lot of people who are on a spiritual path, that is the shift a big shift that is reflected in personal growth is that shift away from the feeling of instant gratification into a feeling of like being present and sensually engaged with whatever is in front of you, whether it's a delicious meal or a work of art or a bad policy. <laughs> Definitely. And, you know, I think, I think that's, a, I like the way that you phrase that. And I think one of the things, and you know, this is me going back to like the kind of policy piece of it, but that requires time. Right. When I think of sensuality, I think slowness. Um, you know, I think slowing down and being in the moment and enjoying. And I think that's crucial and amazing and necessary. But I, you know, looking at the way that a lot of women live, and especially women that are working low wage work, low wage jobs, and have to have multiple of those jobs to survive, um, who are more likely to have children earlier in their 20s, who are more likely to be single parents, there is this incredible burden on their time um you know many of these women are sleeping you know four or six hours a night um are just sort of stretched thin from from every angle and you know one of the sort of goals of political policy that i would like to see is giving people more time for enjoyment and this idea that like having more hours in your day to like just sit in your car and listen to music or to go to your kids play or, you know, to sit and like hang out with your baby on the floor um, or go to an art museum or have sex with your partner. I don't think that this is the stuff that makes up a good life, right? The ability to have time to do that and to have time to like set aside whatever else is going on in your head and really be present and focus on it. Um, but it requires time. And because of the way that we've set up our workplaces and because of decisions that are being made in, you know, on Capitol Hill and in governor's offices, um, many, many women don't have the time to like really even be able to start thinking about uh, sensuality and being present. And I think that's, you know, this is one of those places where the policy realm really does impact um, how good women are able to make their lives and what kind of choices we're able to make um, to, you know, improve our circumstances and make ourselves happier. Being present and being sensual is this huge luxury instead of something that everyone has access to. Right, yeah. which is so sad. Um, yeah. And I think for so a lot simple. of yeah, it's so simple. And I think for a lot of you know, I 
it's it's a tough thing because of course I've talked to people too who are like no like you know you're anybody can be present anybody can practice mindfulness anyone can bring this into their lives and <laughs> and like that's true but some of it some of us can do it a lot easier than others I guess is how yeah I'm it's like that. try doing that with being a single mom with multiple kids and multiple jobs <laughs> you know right and then it's like something else that gets added to the to do list right like. Also, meditate, or you're going to, like, be stressed out and make your kids miserable. <laughs> you know, yeah. it ends up being... Stressed about meditating. Right, exactly. Um, I'm excited to continue exploring this on our book club chat. Uh, but I <laughs> really want also for Jill to share personal updates. Because so, our original episode was more on the personal side, because in yeah. case you did not listen, it was... Um, a year ago today, Jill moved to Nairobi with her man. Um, and as she has already said here, it was like her first time living with a partner and well, she did not say it here, but it was her first time living in Nairobi. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great episode. You should go. Well, not you should, but we invite you to go back and listen if you love Jill as much as we love Jill, which how could you not? Yeah. So Jill, what beautiful personal updates do you have for us from the last six months? Yeah, so I mean, I guess this one is kind of like personal, professional, but I think one of the most amazing things is getting to see my career kind of move in the exact direction that I would like it to move in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm still writing a lot about U.S. politics, but I've gotten to do a couple pieces um, from Africa about um, the sort of context there and women and mostly reproductive rights and health and. So I traveled to Ghana to report a piece on the global gag rule for Foreign Policy magazine. I uh, was in Niger doing a couple of pieces for The Guardian. I'm just, you know, getting to write a bit long and do more kind of in-depth reporting and talk to women and get to tell stories that I think are really important and amazing um, and that hopefully have an impact, you know, has sort of been what I've wanted to do my entire life. So it feels really good to get to finally be able to see some of that starting to happen. Um, and then on a personal level, I'm getting married in January in Nairobi. Yay! So that's, <laughs> that's the one I was looking so for. That's I exciting. know. <laughs> I was like, Julie, you know that Sally's trying to get you to talk I know, about I your engagement. Sally is like really kind of pulling that out. <laughs> I didn't want to be like, guys, also, Jill's engaged. <laughs> well, I don't want to breeze, I don't want to breeze by the career stuff though. Yeah. Because no, that is so good. So freaking huge and I'm so excited for you I know how long well I don't know how long but I can imagine how long you've been working toward this mm-hmm. thanks that's yeah incredible. it feels I'm, it feels good mm-hmm. yeah you guys are getting married in Nairobi we are we're getting married at um in this sort of garden in the back of a restaurant that we really love and then like dancing on the veranda under the stars it will be ah. lovely Oh, man. It sounds amazing. It sounds like a scene out of a novel. (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited. And we're actually, a lot of our family and friends, it seems like, are able to make it, which we weren't necessarily expecting. So um, that's also, it feels very kind of heartening to have so many people that are willing to come so far to celebrate us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited about all the celebration. (laughs) Me too. Me too. (laughs) yeah this is so lovely I'm I just love what's been unfolding for you and really truly celebrating your last six months was a hundred percent my intention for our update episode so I'm really 
Ugh, I'm just so excited. I'm I'm so happy right now. I could like <laughs> I'm about to I'm gonna pour myself some wine and just like sit back and be like, I'm celebrating Jill. <laughs> it's eleven thirty AM, Sally. It's fine. It's, it's fine. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> I um had a question for you about about this last six months and kind of the uh, emotional unfolding that's been happening for you as you've been stepping into such greater visibility in your life. Because you know, as we talked about, I think that women's pleasure is a topic that often gets deprioritized, and even I mean, whatever is stronger than deprioritized. Um, and I'm wondering, like, what has come up for you emotionally as you stepped into greater visibility as a real champion for this cause? Um, I mean, it's very scary. It certainly feels uh, very vulnerable. Um, I think especially with the book, I do write a bit more about my uh, my own life in there. And that is not something I particularly enjoy doing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, it's I, I like sort of writing about other people and writing about politics and policy and writing about myself. Um, it it feels very sort of exposing. You kind of feel like naked on the street um, and not in a fun way. So, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's I've been very sort of pleasantly surprised by the reaction. It hasn't been nearly as sort of negative as I think I had feared. Um, but I do still feel like I'm kind of yeah, a little bit of, I don't know, of a bit of a, I don't know, like a nervous little cat in the corner, you know, mm-hmm. just like afraid of kind of what what the reaction is going to be and, you know, always kind of afraid of saying the wrong thing. Um, you know, I'm doing a bunch of speaking engagements right now and events and, you know, sort of find myself often kind of babbling on and on, um, very nervous <laughs> about like misspeaking and then dealing with that by like speaking more. So <laughs> I'm in a sort of strange, uh, strange place right now emotionally. And then I guess my second question around that is um, with you and Ty moving into this bigger commitment to each other and your partnership, I'm wondering if you would be comfortable sharing with us a little bit about how that partnership has been supporting you in this unfolding. Yeah. Um, it's been incredible. It's actually been, I think the kind of most, the best part of this whole process. Um, I mean, so Ty is just sort of an amazing person. Generally he edited my entire book, which he was not getting paid to do and certainly didn't have to do. Um, but is a very, very talented writer and editor and very kindly, you know, read the whole thing from, from front to back. So this is very much, you know, kind of his project also, uh, which feels really nice. And then he came with me to New York for the first week of the book tour. Um, you know, and Ty has a full-time job and a very demanding job and a lot of stuff to do. Um, you know, but he came, he was at every single event. He, you know, his mom came down with her boyfriend, which was really, really sweet. And he was just, I sort of, I expected that week to be very challenging because it was very, very busy. And he was working and I was running all around town, um, doing events and radio stuff and, you know, trying to meet, you know, meet up with friends and get coffee and talk to my editors. And it was just like every day there were like 18 things that I was doing. Um, and kind of, you know, tending to him in the relationship was last on the list a lot of days. And obviously that, you know, can be, can be quite stressful. Um, but he was the best, like he didn't complain that we spent a week 
only talking about me and my project, <laughs> you know, which I think is two people that are very sort of ambitious and dedicated to our work, you know, can be a challenging thing. Um, mm -hmm. You know, he was there with like a glass of wine in his hands, just like anything I needed, um, kind of just ready to just be a really good, solid partner. Um, yeah, I could not, I really did think it was going to be sort of a point of stress uh, that week in New York when everything was sort of swirling around. And instead he was the one kind of consistent thing that just like kept me on track, helped keep me focused, kept my stress level down, um, and was just kind of the most amazing sort of partner and collaborator that I could have asked for. Yeah, I have so much love for Ty. The thing that I like to do in books is I read the acknowledgments first. And since I actually know you, that was an extra special <laughs> treat. <laughs> and like your entire last paragraph and your acknowledgments is for him. And I was just like, oh, this is so beautiful. <laughs> I'm so happy for Jill. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hit the jackpot with that one. I <laughs> got extremely and somewhat randomly lucky. Mm. Uh, oh. That's so amazing. So I'm good. so I'm so happy for you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <sighs> <sighs> uh, great. This is anything else, great. Sally? <laughs> no, this I feel great. Unless there's anything else that you'd like to share, Jill. No, just thank you both for having me on again. It's always such a I don't know, lovely, lovely process talking to you guys. And Tyler, it was so great to see you um at the book event in in Fort Greene. Yeah, it was my pleasure. I live on the same block as that bookstore, so <laughs> it really was no hassle at all. <laughs> um, so great. And I guess for everybody out there listening, we would love if you would support Jill by purchasing a copy of her book. Um, I personally would love if you would do that at a local bookstore. Mm -hmm. And if not, I'm sure we're going to have a link on our site to yeah. purchase it and sally did you want to mention the giveaway sure yeah we can also we're well not we can we are also we have decided to. we have decided that we're doing a giveaway of jill's book um and all you need to do to enter is leave us a review and so if you've already left us a review you can take a screenshot of it and email it to us and you'll be in the running and if you'd like to um if you have yet to leave us a review and it could be anywhere itunes or stitcher or wherever else google play i don't know if they do reviews i assume that they do wherever you're listening to this um read and review us and take a screenshot of it and email it to us and then you'll be in the running too and i guess i'm not 100 percent sure when this is airing but i guess we can say like maybe the middle or the first maybe the middle of june because i don't think that this is airing next week <laughs> we'll pick a winner by we'll pick a winner june 15th yes and, and then so you'll have some time to read the book yeah because we're going to take a break. We'll talk more about that later. Um, and all the logistics of the book club are coming into place literally as we talk. So we don't have them to share with you yet, but we will share as soon as we do have them. Yeah. It's great. Good stuff. Hooray! Hooray! Jill, if anybody wants to find you on the internet in the meantime, can you please tell us, tell them where they can do that? And we'll also put it in the show notes. Yes, um, I am at Jill Filipovich on both Twitter and Instagram. That's Jill, J-I-L-L, -L, and Filipovich, F-I-L-I-P-O-V-I-C. Mm -hmm. Yay! And the name of the book, again, is The H-Spot, right? Yes, yes. The H-Spot, <laughs> The Feminist Pursuit of Happiness. 
Yay! <laughs> oh, man. Thank you, Jill. Yeah, thank you both for having me on. It was so much fun. Yay! So welcome. Our total pleasure. Oh, so good. And we'll talk to you soon. Yep, talk yeah. to you guys soon. All right. Peace I guess out. That's- Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, how are we ending? How are we ending? <laughs> well, also, if we didn't say our email address. If you want to send us that screenshot for the um, contest giveaway, <laughs> we're a year ago podcast at gmail.com. Great. We'll just re-record right. this ending. <laughs> I don't I like it. <laughs> great. Then fine. We'll leave it. All right, everybody. Have a great Whenever you listen to this, whatever the rest of your time is. (laughs) Bye. Bye.